0: If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter six. We are going to finish the chapter today. Finish the sermon on the plain uh, in Luke chapter six. We'll start in verse forty-six. Um, we've been looking at this sermon for a number of weeks now, and so uh, so far in this sermon uh, that Jesus is preaching, uh, he he he's been giving us man, some, some pretty hard truths. He's told us that as his disciples, as those who are are to follow him, as those who are right with God, he showed us the characteristics of those and given us the commands of what that looks like. Um, for instance, we he said we are to love our enemies. We are to to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for those who abuse us. Uh, We're not to condemn our enemies, but we are to instead examine our own sin before we try to remove the speck that we see in our our brother's eyes. Uh, Jesus has also told us, that uh, uh, that examination what it's going to look like when when we look at ourselves we're not to examine our intentions or our own feelings we are to examine the fruit that is produced in our own lives he said he said that uh, uh, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart will bring forth good and part of this examining of the fruit deals with our words that comes out come out of our mouths uh, our words are going to show us what is in our our hearts now if you're like me you recognize that that these are some really hard truths and and if I'm being honest if we're being honest I we got to admit that that we're failing in in a lot of this when we're when we're faced with just the pure unadulterated truth from Christ's own lips, the effect of it is to expose our sin, expose our fallenness, and, and the the position of our hearts outside of Christ. and And when that ugliness that resides in us is laid open for us to see, man, it it hurts. That's uh, that's convicting, and we're we're forced to admit that, you know, in and of ourselves, we're just wicked. Uh, we can all agree that that no one likes that feeling. Uh, no one likes the conviction. Of realizing that we are 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 wretched when when measured against God's law, we uh we we all want to think that we're doing well, including me. We we want to think that we're basically good people and we're just you know just falling short a little bit and you know just stubbing our toe here and there, um, and, and when that painful truth does go forth, and Jesus tells us something that. I mean, it just sounds so unnatural, something that just seems impossible, like, like to love the people that are hurting you. I mean, it, it's easy for us to, in our minds, agree with him and say, yes, that's a good thing. But to neglect to act on it, uh, because, I mean, let's face it, it just seems like it's impossible. It seems like it's just an unreachable goal now of course as as Christians and as churchgoers we would never say that that's what we're doing instead we say things like you know well, well we're all sinners and we're we're just doing the best we can I, I understand yes that's right we are to love our enemies we are to pray for those who abuse us uh, I, I got it we are to examine our fruit but you know, really, we're just, you know, we're doing better now than we used to. And so uh, it's really not that big a deal. We go on with life. Um, I can only really speak for myself, but everything inside of me, when I read this sermon on the plane here in Luke and Jesus lays all this out from the Beatitudes all the way down to to examining ourselves ourselves. Um everything in me wants to justify myself. It wants to make excuses when Christ's word goes forth and and, and just conviction grabs hold of your heart. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, most of us will do just will do anything to get around the feeling that we're not good, that we're not doing well, uh that we're not uh holy in and of ourselves outside of Christ. Um Really, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest problems in the visible church. Every Sunday, people file into the building uh, to hear God's word preached. And when the sermon's over and the scripture's been read, people file out of here thinking that, that just by being there, just by being here, they have fulfilled the duty. That they owe to God, they they've fulfilled their duty for the week. Uh, in people's minds, some really believe that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified and rose from the dead, but really just don't have a desire to give their life to him or to spend themselves following him. Um, I mean, I'm pretty passionate about this issue because really, I was one. I was one of these people. There, there isn't, there isn't. Any time in my whole life where I didn't believe that Jesus was God's Son and that He rose from the dead—I mean, all my life I've known that it's true. I, I was raised in a Christian home and in church. I always knew that Jesus' word was true, that His that His commands were were the the best way to live, and that uh, you know it was the most godly way to live. But really, for much of my life, I mean, before I was born again. I chose instead to live for myself rather than to spend myself for Christ, to give myself for Christ. I I chose to satisfy myself rather than deny myself in order to pursue keeping Jesus' commands and His kingdom and His will. My heart just, I mean, it had no desire to change, no desire to press toward obedience to Christ's word or press toward relationship with Christ. Now, if you asked me, oh, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I would have said, yes, I could have quoted as many Bible verses as as anyone you could have lined up next to me. I could have argued with you all day long about how I was a Christian because of what I believed to be true. I believed that there was a man named Jesus and that he was crucified, that he did rise from the grave. But the reality is that I had no problem hearing the words of Jesus. I just didn't have any interest in actually doing them. Uh, it was fine as long as i thought of them as you know principles or or life principles or or sayings to be learned or or good ideas but they weren't things i actually took to heart and acted upon they were things that i knew were good and i knew i probably wasn't doing uh but it wasn't that big a deal to me. I mean it was it was just yeah well I know that's what we're supposed to do but really we're all human and, and you know we're just doing the best we can and we're just getting along. there was no there was no mourning over that failure there was no there was no brokenness over that sin there was no longing for holiness. So as we look at Luke chapter 6 as, as Jesus ends this sermon, he, he's already told us I mean some really really hard sayings. But now he's going to end this passage with, with really a warning for his hearers. Uh, this passage is going to it's going to demonstrate to us another aspect of our fruit being the evidence of God's work in our life. He is going to show us the consequences. The consequences of not having fruit, of not having fruit the fruit that he has already described to us in the sermon. In verse 46 of Luke chapter 6, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So, I mean, just that verse right there, after, after all the incredibly hard sayings that Jesus has given, he asks a question really that just cuts right to the heart of the mindset that we've been talking about no one comes to the father unless they come through the Lord Jesus we got that but Jesus makes sure that we understand here that you know it's it's impossible for Jesus to be our Lord if we are in the same breath refusing to obey him refusing to follow him to be honest I mean that really is just common sense I mean to be Lord means that he has authority over whatever it is we're talking about it it doesn't make much sense to claim that Jesus is our Lord, <clears throat> meaning that He has authority over our lives, and in the same in the same breath, we just actually refuse to obey Him when when He says to love our enemies, for instance. That that's a command from the Lord to His servant, the one who says, you know, well I hear what you're saying, but you know I'm doing the best I can. I'm I'm going to work on it. I'm I'm not I'm not going to do that. It demonstrates that he's not really Jesus's servant. Uh, that person is his own lord because he alone decides which commands he's going to follow, which commands he's going to obey. Uh, now, before we get too far, there, there's an important point that needs to be made here. Made here before we, uh, you know, before we continue looking at the, the rest of the of this warning from Jesus. When we talk about obedience to Jesus, when we talk about following his commands, doing what he tells us is the way he puts it. Keeping his commands. You know, of course, we're not saying that if you're not perfect yet, then you know, then you're not really a Christian. Uh, when a person is born again, when they when they get saved, they don't stop struggling against their sin. I mean that's really when the battle against sin starts. So so keeping Jesus's word isn't speaking of being perfect and sinless. You know, if you're not perfectly obeying, then I'm really not your Lord. It's talking about something that Jesus has already described to us in this very sermon. I mean, he's continuing the same thought. It's hard because we're breaking the sermon up into different weeks, but really it's one it's one sermon with a point and with a pattern and uh, he is he's reiterating something he's already said. He's talking about a heart that desires Christ and longs for Him. He's just told us in the sermon that is out of the good heart that the good things are brought forth. And the bad heart brings forth bad things, bad fruit. So... Keeping Jesus' words, doing what Jesus says, is the epitome of good fruit. And that fruit only comes from a heart that has been changed, a heart that has been born again by the Spirit of God. The evidence that one has been justified by God is that he has a new desire to serve and obey Christ, and that heart bears fruit that consistently is keeping Jesus' Commands. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a life that is turned toward obeying, 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 obeying Jesus's commands. Uh, I mean, Jesus himself really verifies this in, in John chapter 14, verse 15, when he says that the one who loves him will keep his commands, the keeping of his commands. Commandment is is not one what makes one right with God. It is the evidence that the heart has been changed to love Christ. That is what that's what God said all the way back in Ezekiel when He spoke of the new covenant that would come. He said He said I will take out your heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you, and then He says, make sure you get this. I will cause you to keep my commands. Um, so. What we're talking about is not something new here. Where Jesus says, "Hey, by the way, uh, if you're not if you're not perfect, then really I'm not your Lord." He's reiterating the same thing he said just a few verses earlier. Out of the the good heart, the uh, the man brings forth good fruit. Uh, Adrian Rogers gave a great il- illustration about. Um, about what it means to keep christ's commands and when we're talking about john chapter 14 verse 15 where he says if you love me you'll keep my commands um he he said that back before there was you know gps and advanced navigation systems sailors used to guide their ships by the stars Uh, they would line their ship up with whatever star they were guiding by and they called it keeping to the stars um and so now there would there would be times when the storm would blow up, of course, or or you know the sailors wouldn't be paying attention through the night or something and would find themselves off course, but whenever they recognized that they were no longer rightly lined up with their course, they would correct it and pull their ship back into line. And that's what he said, that's what it means to keep Christ's commands. It doesn't doesn't mean that you're never going to blow off course. It doesn't mean, you know, that your own sinful neglect is going to get in the way or or, or, you know, worldly temptation, or you're going to fail in some area, or something like that. But it means that when the Spirit of God shows you your sin and shows you your area, your error, we we uh, we steer our lives back into line with Christ's command. We are keeping to His commands. It's not a matter of perfection. Never sinning, never doing anything wrong, never failing in any area. If that was true, then nobody would be uh, Christ would be nobody's Lord today because none are none are doing perfectly. But what we're talking about, he's talking about living a life of doing what Jesus says. He says, "Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say?" There, there's going to be times when you fail to love your enemies as Christ commands you. But when you recognize it and the conviction of the Spirit comes, you don't justify yourself or make excuses. You repent for your sin and you pull your life back in line with his commands. The person who really has no interest in living their life following Christ's words really doesn't have a reason to think that simply calling Jesus their Lord is enough. And so to make sure that we understand the point that Jesus is making, he gives us Another parable to illustrate what he is, uh, what he's saying. He introduces this parable by saying, in, in verse forty-seven. This is verse forty-seven. He says, "Everyone who comes to me, and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like." Now, before we look at the the picture, the parable itself that Jesus paints, make sure you recognize what Jesus is doing right here. Uh, he is pointing his finger right at the people that's that's listening to him. He's saying, "I am talking." to you. Notice he says that I'm going to show you what the one who comes to me and hears me is like Before we get to the doing part, he says the one who comes and the one who hears. Now, make sure you remember who Jesus is talking to in the sermon. At the very beginning of this sermon, in uh, verse 17 and 18 of Luke chapter 6, we read, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, listen, who came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. They came to him and they came to hear him. Notice that language. These people that are hearing Jesus preach the sermon were said to have come to him in order to hear him. And of course, they also wanted to be, you know, healed of their diseases. And, and there's there's no doubt that some of these people hearing Jesus, they they didn't really want jesus himself they wanted the blessings of being healed or being helped with whatever issue that was going on uh of course you see the same thing today uh, you know, in John chapter six, uh, when Jesus fed the five thousand, they followed him across the sea because they lo- not because they loved Jesus, but because they wanted uh, they wanted more food. They wanted Jesus to do something for them. Jesus says to them in John 6:26, He said uh, He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And at the end of the chapter, after he tells them, you know, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the bread from heaven, and you can't have eternal life unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Uh, It says that many of these same people that followed Jesus across the sea, they turned back and followed followed him no more. So there's a big difference between coming to Christ to serve him and love him and to come to Christ because you think that Jesus can fix all your problems. What he says, what he's going to show us in this parable, in this picture, is that coming and hearing is not enough. Gracing God with our presence is not what we're called to do. Even coming, listen, even coming and agreeing with God is not the only thing that we're called to do. You can come and nod your head during the sermon and say, that's right, that's right. That is not what we're called to do. We are called to be supernaturally changed and to submit ourselves to Christ in obedience. Jesus is Jesus is going to say, he said, I, I'll show you what the one coming, hearing, and doing my word is like. And then he goes into verse 48 and 49, and we won't be long. He is the one coming, hearing, and doing my word. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Some uh, some manuscripts say it had been founded on a rock. And then he shows us the opposite in verse 49. He says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against... Against it immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So, the parable is the picture here. I mean, it's pretty easy to understand. You have two builders uh, the one who is doing Jesus' words builds on a firm foundation, and the one who doesn't is building without a foundation. Uh, the picture is not a hard one. I mean, you know what happens when a house is not built on a foundation, uh, but Jesus' point is it's not to show us. Uh, the the finer points of carpentry or architecture or something like that the building that we are working on here the building that the builders are building it's a picture of our eternal life our life in eternity every human being will live forever and spend their eternity either in perfect blissful relationship with the triune god or they will be separated from him forever and 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 of course, you you know as well as I do that the solid rock, of course, is Jesus and His Word. That's what I mean. He said, "This is what it's like." The one who hears My Word and does it. There isn't there isn't much of a misunderstanding about that. But. Where the misunderstanding does come in is about, about the storm that, that comes and beats against the house in this passage. There, there are a lot of, who take this and use this parable to show that uh, the storm is, uh, you know, just sorrows of life, trials tribulations, things that happen in our life, things that we go through. And it's, they show that if if our life is built on the foundation of Christ's word, then we should be able to stand the storms of life. And whenever some trial or tribulation or suffering comes into our lives, it beats against our house and and only, only those on the rock will stand. Those who build their house on, of course, another foundation or no foundation will be taken by the storm. Now, while I, of course, agree that it is Christ and His word that brings peace in the midst of the storms of life, I don't think that is that's precisely what Jesus means by this parable. Uh, I mean, I've known many people who just outright deny Christ and have been able to weather some storms in life. Uh, I mean, I've seen businessmen who lost everything and clawed their way back up from poverty all the while just continually denying Christ and living for their own. Their own desires, um, so it's not an absolutely true illustration in every instance that the trials and sorrows of this life will destroy you if you're not built on doing Christ's words. When I say destroy you, I mean you know will will break you down where you cannot cope. Um, it may be true in some instances, and I'm sure that it is, but it it also is not true in others. The storm Jesus describes here, the, the stream beating against the house and the wind and those things, it's not speaking of the storms of life that all of us go through, whether you're you know, lost or saved because of creation's fall. The storm Jesus warns us about is, in context, it's the coming judgment of God. Uh, no matter what else happens in this life, there is one inevitable and absolute truth that the one who refuses to build his eternity on Christ, to build his life on Christ and His Word, doing His Word, will be swept away by the judgment of God, by the wrath of a holy God. It, it's appointed to man once to die and then face the judgment. That judgment will reveal the truth about whether a person has been born again. Or not? Uh, I mean, you can't get a, a better picture than than Matthew seven tells us that there will be many who stand on that day and declare that Jesus Christ is their Lord. They'll they'll argue with Jesus Himself, saying, "But wait, wait, wait a minute! Haven't I haven't I done all these things in Your name?" And Jesus will say, perhaps the saddest words ever uttered in eternity, He'll say, "Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you." Notice how Jesus described them right there. He says they are, you know, not not unbelievers, of course they were, but he describes them as workers of iniquity. They chose to live for themselves rather than to do Christ's words as he says here in this passage. You know, they no doubt spent a whole lot of time hearing Jesus' word because, you know, they claimed that He indeed was their Lord, and they had done many works in his name, uh, but they were never known by Christ. So just by that alone, it tells me they had to have heard some of Jesus' words. They had to have been around some of Jesus' teachings. They had to have been familiar because they claimed to have done things in his name. They claimed to have prophesied, and you go to Matthew chapter 7, you can read those things. So from the outside, these people would have looked the part. But Christ says, I never knew them. And that really is the point that we're seeing here. To do the words of Christ in this passage is not teaching a works based salvation where, where doing his words earns someone the salvation of God. Any person who is remotely biblically literate uh, is going to understand the problem with taking the passage that way. The point is what Jesus has already said in this sermon. He's not introducing a new concept in the last line of this sermon. He is reiterating what he's already said. It is out of the heart that the works of life are brought forth. When the heart is changed to love Christ and follow him, the outward life will also be changed, and the believer will keep the commands of Christ. Keep the words of Christ. His life will be characterized by one who is keeping the words of Jesus. God himself promised that in Ezekiel we read it earlier we talked about it earlier that he would cause us to keep his commands so what we're seeing here is the outworking of the gospel is the outworking of Christ himself in the heart of one who has been changed If a person could actually be born again, could be changed, and I'm not talking about how good you're doing, so I'm not saying you have to reach this certain level before Christ will accept you. We're not talking about your performance. We're talking about the desire of your heart that motivates and characterizes your life. If a person could be born again by the Spirit of God and spend their entire life not keeping the commands of Christ, then God would have to had lied in Ezekiel, when he says, I will cause you to keep my commandments, or he would have to be not powerful enough to keep his word, and I don't believe either of those is true. And the New Testament bears this out when it gives the evidence that one has been born again throughout the book of uh, like 1 John. Uh, building on the firm foundation that we see here, or building on the shifting sand are the results of either a true faith in Christ or a false profession. The good man out of the abundance of his heart produces good. He does the words of Christ. He builds his life on a rock. The evil man out of the abundance of his heart brings forth evil. He builds his life on no foundation and does not do the words of Christ. At the judgment, the builder upon the sand will discover that his life is swept away by the incomprehensible wrath of a holy God. And really the most fearful thing about this whole story is that when the sun is shining and there is no storm, when judgment hasn't come yet, everything's rocking right along, both houses look really good. You might not even be able to tell the difference between the house that is built on the rock and the one that is built with no foundation until the storm comes. By, by every appearance in the first century, the Pharisees looked like their house was built on God's foundation. If you saw one of these deeply religious guys walking around in the first century, you would have said, wow, I want to be just like them. They are surely living their life worthy before God. They are surely right before God, but you and I know that that wasn't the case. They were the one group of people that the Lord Jesus, over and over again, chided, called them. He called them a, called them a brutal vipers, called them whitewashed tombs. They had the appearance of true religion and and good works, man. They had the appearance of good works, but they rejected the words of Christ. They refused to see him as Messiah. They couldn't lay down their own righteousness and accept their sinful state before God, they they refused to recognize their need for a savior. They didn't mourn over their sin like Jesus told us in this sermon at the beginning in the Beatitudes. And for that, unless they turned to Christ, there were a few Pharisees that did turn to Christ, they were swept away in the judgment of God. This passage, this building on this foundation, it's a fearful warning. For those who come and hear Jesus' word, but don't have a desire to follow them, aren't broken because of their sin, it's a warning to those who hold Christ's promises in high esteem. When someone uh, goes through a tough time and they say, you know, they hold on to no weapon formed against me, well, no weapon formed can come against me and prosper. But on the other hand, they neglect his commands. As to what they are supposed to be doing. As what kind of life they are supposed to be living. it's That's unimportant. Their house, by all outward appearances, looks just like the house built on the rock. But the storm of God's judgment is going to tell the true tale. Through, throughout this sermon, Jesus has sh- has shown us what the born-again heart looks like. It produces fruit that gives evidence to what kind of heart it is it it understands the born again heart understands its spiritual poverty and it mourns over its sin and and many other hard truths have been given the question is how how did you receive them the question is not necessarily how well are you doing. A lot of people get it confused. The question is not how well you're doing. Because if we line ourselves up together, I promise you, there are none of us that are doing well enough. The question is, how has your heart received the words of Christ? When it says, turn the other cheek. When it says, love your enemy. When it says, pray for the one that's persecuting you. Do you neglect those and justify yourself saying that, you know, I'm not all that bad and I'm certainly doing better than most other people. Do you make excuses and justify yourself? Do you do you think that just by coming into the congregation and spending an hour listening to the preacher, do you think that earns you some brownie points before God? Well, I've got I've done my I've done my godly thing for the week. Or does your heart burn to obey Christ and serve him? When you fail to obey Him in an area, it hurts. I mean, it hurts in such a way that we don't want to experience this again. Sometimes when we fail, when we sin, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's just when, when you know something's wrong. All men have a conscience. All men have the law of God written on their heart. So when you know you've done something wrong, there's almost a well shucks i just blew that man i wish that wouldn't have happened. that's not what we're talking about that's not the conviction from god what we're talking about when he says uh when he talks about the conviction of the spirit we're talking about something that is painful it's something that you you don't want to let happen again it's something that hurts Uh, i can remember being a uh, you know, for a long time, I studied the Bible I had you know e- even as a lost man and I, I was working at a body shop at the time and I, I tell this story frequently that um, you know I would go on my lunch break and I would read the scripture every day and I would pray and I would just sit in my truck in this parking lot and just just you know spend time with God as a lost man. I was a lost man at the time. Well the the day after, the day after God saved me and I was born again, you know, I uh, I went to the same parking lot, same same Bible, same truck. Everything was exactly the same. And, uh, and that day, it was like God spoke to me in his word. I mean, he didn't say, hey, Jason, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt or something like that. He just, you know, it was just it was just in the presence of god well that afternoon back to the body shop i was underneath the one of the, uh, a truck and i was you know turning wrenches doing what i was supposed to do and my the wrench slipped my knuckle hit the drivetrain and something came out of my mouth that no christian should ever say and i got to tell you for that that you know i had you know i had a bad mouth anyway even as a religious man <clears throat> before but when that came out of my mouth Man, I felt like crying. It hurt. I mean, it it hurt down in the pit of my stomach. It wasn't like a well dang, I need to do better. I gotta get I gotta get better at that. It's really not really what I'm supposed to be doing. No, it was <clears throat> it was like it was like something had gut punched me. How could you do that after Christ has done all he has done for you? What kind of person are you? What I mean, it was just Man, it was awful, and from that day, you know uh, I haven't been perfect, of course, <clears throat> but I haven't had any trouble with with uh, foul language or anything like that because it hurt It's like putting your hand on a stove. you put your hand on a hot stove and it burns the in the palm of your hand you're not going to have a problem you're not going to have a problem with putting your hand on a stove in the future because that pain that that hurt. Is going to It's going to remind you. It's going to remind you. <clears throat> so really, that's what we're talking about. Are your thoughts consumed with him? Or is your life hungry to be changed by the word of God? Does your heart long for him more than anything else in this world to follow after him? Even if you fail daily and you don't understand why you struggle so much, is it truly a struggle? As the book of James says, are you a doer? of the word or a hearer only. Honestly assess yourself right now. This is what Jesus told us to do, to examine ourselves, get the log out of your eye because when the storm of God's judgment comes and reveals the truth that right now only he and you know, then it'll be too late. The door will be shut. <clears throat> the son of God will stand before the host of heaven, all creation and bear witness to the truth of his word as he says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Is that you today? Be reconciled to God. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ. And he said that he would save you. He would change your heart. He would put a spirit inside you that would cause you to bear fruit for him.